Good afternoon, everyone. I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry, and I'm excited to see that we have some people joining us uh, from the different platforms we're still streaming on. But this is our first week where we're hoping <laughs> that we have enough confidence in the, um, the Rumble technology and whatnot that we're uh, trying to steer people towards uh, viewing this live episode on Rumble each week, our channel there, in case you're actually watching this on one of the others that we're still uh, streaming on or seeing this as a later post on another platform. Our channel there on Rumble is rumble.com slash C slash Restore Freedom. Pretty easy to remember. Uh, so if you're not checking it out there, uh, please do. And uh, as far as we've seen, we uh, haven't noticed that there's a way to get the um, instantaneous live notifications, if you will, uh, that YouTube has. So a lot of people were joining my my live streams on YouTube um, because they saw a notification come up that I was live. Um, I think Facebook Live does the same thing, but um, and TikTok certainly does notifications. As far as we've seen, Rumble doesn't do that. So we are uh, going to just schedule this every noon on Tuesday to do our Restore Freedom Weekly episode. So we hope that you put it on your own calendar. Uh, or uh, if you forget when ours is, you can check out our website, restorefreedomkh.com, and you can see um, the Catherine's calendar. We're going to make that a little bit easier to see uh, moving forward, but uh, that calendar is available on there, and you'll be able to see uh, the, the upcoming week's episode with a description. And so um, we look forward to um, uh, seeing you join us once a week there. So um, hi, Rick on Facebook. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Tracy on Facebook. Thank you for joining us. I love that you still have, it looks like it's super tiny, I will say, but it looks like you still have the Restore Freedom, um, what do you call that? Uh, profile ring or whatnot. Um, so thank you for your support in that regard. If it's not, then thank you anyway, because it's purple and it looks like the Restore Freedom one. <laughs> so, um, and if those of you uh, watching today are still interested in having that uh, uh, Facebook, yeah, okay, it is uh, the Facebook uh, profile ring, uh, let us know. And uh, hopefully Lori or Mike will remember how to get that out to you because I don't, that's not my, uh, I'm not in the technological realm of uh, expertise there, but um, I want to go ahead and, and really get us started. Um, besides thanking you for joining us, I'm super excited that we are going to be doing this as a weekly episode at a certain day, certain time, and in a main location. We will still be streaming to Facebook on our page as long as possible, but um, more and more people are leaving Facebook or getting banned off of Facebook, and Facebook, of course, is doing the shadow banning and other censorship. So uh, we are making Rumble our main channel. Um, uh, yes, and Tracy says, so glad someone is for us, the people. Yes, uh, hopefully, if I'm doing my job right, I'm going to encourage even more people to stand up and take leadership positions to fight for we the people. But um, anyway, super excited uh, that we're going to be doing it in this fashion. I know that my friend Micah uh, has a lot of success on his 2AEDU channel because of that uh, Friday night slot he does. And uh, some others are um, 
used to doing a more set time kind of a podcast thing. Uh, hi, Kim, on Facebook. Uh, so um, that's what we hope to do going forward, barring any kind of technological issues, such as yesterday when I went to go live on uh, the YouTube channels that we have to kind of do a preview or commercial, if you will, for today's episode. My entire Wi-Fi um, adapter on my fairly new computer. Uh, okay, I bought it in 2020 when we needed to do the Restore Freedom Initiative petition. But at any rate, it's still new to me. Uh, the whole Wi-Fi adapter decided to quit. So scrambling right before I'm trying to get that um, those lives going uh, to find an Ethernet cord and uh, get that all plugged in. So uh, at any rate, we do with what we've got, right? So. Um, I uh, also wanted to let you guys know a lot of people uh, from time to time will ask us about donations, but uh, it's 2021, especially towards the end of the year, it did get rough for uh, the business side of things uh, and personal uh, since, um, I don't know, April, 2020, I took maybe one or two, uh, paying clients, you know, in, in 2020, other than that, I haven't taken any paid clients because my work, my mission that God has me on, I'm being called to do this work on a donation basis for we, the people. So, um, I believe that, uh, God will make it happen and make sure the bills are paid. But if you feel called to help support this work in any way, some people, People send me $2 in the mail because that's all they have and that's how they can support. Hey, that helps. Every little bit helps. Some people send bigger checks. Some people uh, like to do monthly donations. Uh, you can do a, a monthly donation set up through Square um, on our website or um, you can do a one-time donation through PayPal or Square. Um, and then, of course, checks and that kind of thing, too. We have our mailing address on the website. Uh, I believe it's uh, Restore Freedom Shop. Uh, restorefreedomkh.com slash shop and donate. But if you go to our website, you'll be able to see that tab for shopping and, and donating. And none of the items on the shop tab, mind you, none of them are uh, giving us any kind of revenue. In fact, I'm finding I'm often losing money, uh, such as the uh, um, pop sockets. I had some orders for that because we featured that in last week's episode. And uh, I went to go fill those orders at the post office on, I think it was Monday, yesterday. And um, it uh, cost me $4 and 70 some cents, but it uh, to just to mail each one and uh, getting them, I think it was, I don't have it in front of me. It's like six, something like $6 and 75 cents or $6 and 87 cents is what it cost me out of pocket uh, just to buy each one. So uh, the, the USPS pricing has really kind of screwed us over because uh, I had it packaged in that there would be like maybe a, a 20 to 40 cent window in case postage went up a little bit that I'd be okay. But instead I ended up eating $1.45 on each of those, um, uh, on each of those mailings I had to do to get those items out. So, uh, which wouldn't be a big deal if you think about, oh, it's a law firm, it's a lawyer. But uh, like I mentioned, my firm has not been taking paid cases, paid clients, uh, despite the tens of thousands of requests. This kind of work is what I'm being called to do, to educate all of you and to provide information for free as much as I can, as long as I can, uh, so that everyone can have access to it and that the message of truth and um, biblical values and constitutional 
uh, law can really make its way as far as possible out there. So if you desire to support us in any way, uh, please consider that. Um, if you are looking to support us uh, as a family or, you know, me as an individual to make sure I'm paying my student law, uh, you know, law school loans uh, or, you know, to help uh, in any kind of other way, because obviously um, if I'm doing this on donation, I'm not taking a paycheck from the business. Uh, the business is paying you know, the expensive monthly bills for StreamYard and for the internet and, um, you know, any kind of recording or whatever um, equipment we need, or hopefully I don't have to buy a new computer, that would really suck. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> postage and things like that, that's what the business pays for. The business doesn't pay me anything, not a dime. I haven't taken a dime personally. Uh, the only things I've taken personally since this all started uh, has been just the donations where people are specifically telling me it's for us personally. So uh, to those of you who um, have done that and are considering do doing that, um, I really appreciate that. Uh, and those links to do it that way to us personally are also on there. Um, if you're interested in uh, donating specifically for um my case with Allegan County, uh, I'll give you the short legal update, uh, which is that uh, in case of those of you missed it <clears throat> last week, they have put us, uh, let's see, I've had six or seven trial dates at this point. Um, my first trial date was April of 2020, and then July of 2020, October 2020, um, January of, uh, excuse me, those are all 2021. And then uh, January of 2020, 22 and then it was going to be february then it was going to be march and now they have moved it to june i believe june 15th with the friday uh status conference or settlement conference um the friday before that so uh at this point it looks like june 15th i will be in allegan county at the allegan county courthouse for the trial to start at 9 a.m and uh for those of you interested in supporting in any way to come into the courthouse to be bear that witness. I would absolutely appreciate and love for you to be there. For those of you um, who want to support by being outside with, you know, signs or banners or T-shirts or encouragement in any way, doing live streams on your own channels or things like that, I it would mean the world to me to have you there in that capacity as well. Those of you who can't attend, who uh, want to pray for the outcome, for my nerves in the whole thing. Um, it's anything, anything at all that you can do to support, uh, me in that, uh, fight for my freedom, uh, which, uh, is obviously tied very closely to, um, the fight for everyone's freedom. I would appreciate that. So, um, <laughs> at least, uh, hi, Rachel. Um, uh, that is my one of my favorite Rachels there. Um, she's uh, saying hello to her favorite Floridian. And uh, Lori saying it should be great weather. I will say, you know, uh, perhaps I should be thankful that I'm not getting a speedy trial as guaranteed by the U.S. and state constitutions uh, because at least the weather will be better in June than it is in January, February, or March in Michigan. So at any rate, um, so... Um, that is the legal update that I have for you. Uh, I don't have any other legal updates on any other cases. There's a little bit of things moving in, in the trial level courts and starting to see some appeals on some of the cases that I've mentioned before and some new cases that are just happening, like I said, at the trial court level. In fact, I believe 
uh, Rachel um, Atwood may have provided some information about uh, one or two of those. Um, and uh, I'm only, I only heard about it secondhand, didn't have a chance to go back and see any of that, the updates directly myself. Uh, the one thing I just wanna caution everyone is if you're seeing something happen at the trial court level, it's not precedent. It's not something that's binding on anybody else except for those individual parties. It's not binding in that county. It's not binding, uh, you know, anywhere else across the state or anything like that. Um, once it starts to get up to the Court of Appeals or Supreme Court, that's where you see those kinds of court decisions being binding across the board. So just something to keep in mind that if you see a, a judge, a trial court judge do a good thing, that's great. Encourage them, spread the word, tell everybody about it. But just know that it's not the same as uh, there being some sort of binding precedent that they have to follow. Um, so today's uh, biblical uh, values um, couldn't help myself but to go back to some of my original notes from the early part, April, May of 2020, when I was speaking um, on the steps of the Capitol, uh, Lansing State Capitol, uh, April 30th, or uh, I believe it was May 18th of um, 2020 at Rosa Park Circle in downtown Grand Rapids. Uh, and a few days before that, May 14th, 2020, again on the steps of the Capitol, I think that was Michigan United for Liberty that was putting on that event. But I had some notes about where is this coming from? Are these things, you know, I wanted to make sure for myself, am I grounding my words and my actions and what I'm asking you all to do? Am I grounding that in a, a biblical value? Is it something that God was really wanting us to do? Because generally speaking, you know, it feels wrong to bulk at authority um, unless you just have a rebellious spirit. But generally speaking, we have this instinct to go, if you're bulking at um, authority, if you're not following authority, uh, you're doing something wrong. And so I, I started to really dive in to see what is God really saying about authority. And um, well, we'll go through that. Uh, and I have gone through that in, in prior videos, but we'll go through that a little bit more in future videos. But what it really boils down to is um, the authority is, you know, what is the law? What does the law say about it? And so in order to determine that, you need to look at, well, what really is the law? So anyway, with that being said, um, Romans um, 2.13 says that it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And uh, later on in Romans 2.23 you dishonor God by breaking the law. So if we're looking at, okay, uh, those who obey the law and those who break the law, in order to know whether you're obeying or disobeying the law, you have to know what is the law and is simple and, um, you know, straightforward or, or maybe too simplistic as it may seem. It's, it, it really is simple. What is the law? What God means there translates exactly to realistic everyday description and reality for us about what is the law here now. Uh, <clears throat> we're not just meant to follow the every whim of every leader that's, you know, elected or appointed in some way to government. That's not at all what God tells us to do. In fact, you could look at all the biblical examples. My friend Rachel Weaver, I believe, was uh, someone who I saw po um, post recently uh, to Facebook about different examples of where uh, God's people disobeyed the government authority 
figure because they were trying to get the people to do something that was against God's will. So it's not just blindly following some sort of government authority. Um, <clears throat> no, in fact, we are to look at what the law is and, um, and paying attention to following that. So um, with God's word, uh, I'm going to, uh, we, we've been doing a little bit of the, the true and false um, postings. I, I had been doing that, you know, a while back, and then we got a little bit farther uh, in between on doing those. So we're bringing those back. And uh, those of you who follow us on various platforms might have seen at 10 a.m. that we posted um, our true or false poll. So go find us wherever you follow us on social media. Go find us there. Uh, ironically, uh, if you did come over to Rumble and you're watching us there, then um, there's no way to do posting, just generalized posting or polls. So um, that's the one place you can't take the poll. But anyway, uh, my question for you, this is true or false uh, Tuesday, is laws are not just made by constitute excuse me by statutes or procedures found in state constitutions all executive orders case law and administrative rules are laws too that's not me saying it is that is me giving you essentially the question of the week true or false and uh, i will spell out very clearly and succinctly for you at 10 p.m. on those various social media platforms where the poll was posted. If you come back at 10 p.m., we'll post the answer, not just the yes or no or true or false, but we'll give you the reason why it is true or false each week. And uh, if you continue to listen throughout this episode, you'll also know in great detail what the answer is and why. So uh, with that being said, you know, our topic of the week is to look at what is a law. Well, uh, my resources for the week are, of course, threefold. Um, two are in the format that you've come to know and, dare I say, love, those online links, those free resources for you to utilize to be able to have at your fingertips as freedom fighting tools. So um, I have for you the... Um, uh, Michigan Laws, the chapter index, the MCL chapter index is that link. And um, I realize a, a lot of, um, well, Dennis, I see Dennis jumping in and saying that executive orders should not be law. And you will probably be pleasantly surprised to hear the rest of our show today because we are definitely going to go over that. Uh, but I'm going to do a quick screen share, recognizing that some of you are not able to um, see. Some of you are listening while you're at work on your lunch break or doing laundry or something of that nature. But um, I'm going to go ahead and bring us to that, that link. It's actually the second link, I, I believe, is how I did it in the description of the video today, but where it's um, the legislature for Michigan's website and it's the chapter index, you'll see that this is literally the entirety of Michigan laws. Uh, there are 830 chapters. Now, some chapters just don't exist. So for some reason, we don't have any chapters from 805 to 829. Who knows why? But um, 
And there's some other segments that are missing as well. But these are the chapters of Michigan state law. Chapter one is actually uh, the state constitution again. So um, the, the state statutes, so to speak, really start in chapter two. But you'll see on the topics here, it helps often if you're looking for a particular law. Uh, it, it, there's, this is overwhelming to say the least, but honestly, this is where I look to when I'm trying to figure out where, what is the law on a particular topic. And I just read through every possible choice that it might be. And I write down whether it's two, whether it's 22 different topics that it might be. And um, just start with my list. And I start at the very top and I click on the very first one that it might be like taxation. Looks like we have uh, chapter 205 and then we have Income Tax Act of 1967 is chapter 206 and then taxation is chapter 207 and business tax chapter 208. Uh, state assessment and equalization 209, taxation of real property 211. At any rate, so if you're looking for something on taxes, you might want to very well write down every single one of those things uh, and um, go back and, and look through. And when you click on them, it'll then show you the the particular acts um, that were put into place. And you'll see over here, it gives you the specific numbers that are within, that are covered by that act. So 205.1 through 205.31. Uh, so anyway, um, that's how they break that down. And um, you can find all of our laws that way. Uh, just something I saw really quick, and I'll probably do a separate video on it. But those of you who are being encouraged to run for office for the first time. You're gonna run for state school board. Uh, you're gonna run for local school board. You're gonna run for state representative or state senate, or you're one of my friends who's running for governor or secretary of state or attorney general. Um, then keep in mind that the main laws that you wanna follow, there's Michigan election law and campaign financing and advertising. That's chapter 168 and 169. If you are running for office at all, please look at and read all of what's in chapter 168 and 169. I don't care if you have a treasurer or a campaign manager or anybody else following you. If you're running for office, you should be able to read those laws right there because guaranteed you will end up having some sort of issue later on. And if you don't now, it's not caught now, but somehow it's caught later on and uh, you're already elected. It could be some big scandal uh, if something happened wrong and you, you, know, you didn't quite do something right. Just do yourself and all the rest of us a favor and just do your best to read through that. Obviously, you might have questions and uh, the Michigan Bureau of Elections has a lot of information uh, that's supposedly easy to follow um, on that, but just something that caught my eye and I wanted to share with you now. Okay, so the next uh, is actually just the Florida version of the same thing, because even though I'm not a licensed attorney in the state of Florida, so I'm not providing legal advice or representation for you uh, in the state of Florida um, at all at any point until such time as I do get licensed here, uh, I am someone who's completed law school successfully and licensed in five other jurisdictions at this point. So uh, I do want to bring you, uh, for those of you who are in Florida or maybe visit Florida frequently, have Florida family members, maybe you're snowbirds, um, maybe you're looking at moving to Florida because uh, you love our governor more than you love 
Michigan's governor, you know, whatever. Uh, take a look at the chapters here. I will say, look at this. With one little bit of a scroll, you can get from, I can almost squeeze them onto one screen, Title One, and oh, you got a few that don't squeeze at the bottom. That's it. These are all of the titles, as you call them, the, the, essentially the chapters. Um, <clears throat> but they have what's called titles, and then they break down to chapters and then parts. But uh, it's the same main breakdown that you'll see. You know, they're talking about state organization, the legislative branch, executive branch, judicial branch. They'll have uh, the statutes on civil practice and procedure for cases uh, in you know civil cases in court. You'll see down here they have crimes and criminal procedure, um, torts. Um, there's the same kind of general breakdown on the Michigan side as well. It's just a lot more complicated on the Michigan side. But um, do make sure to kind of familiarize yourself with this. You know what? Even if you're in Michigan. Uh, or in any other state, go ahead and give the Florida version a look through and check it out because it's a little easier to, to understand and kind of get used to um, how to comb through state statutes. And that will be a good uh, starting point to just give you some practice on digging through state statutes. And then if you live in Michigan or another state, you can go to your own state's version and uh, be a little bit more familiar with it when you're jumping in. So uh, let's see. Uh, then I almost forgot, can't believe that I would do such a thing. Um, but then I have for you, might as well keep doing this while I'm screen sharing, uh, an eBay link. Not that I'm even remotely advertising eBay or saying that you have to buy it on eBay, but I wanted to give you the, um, give you the, the image of specifically what I'm, what I'm recommending to you, uh, as the tool for the week, which, um, well, I'll go into something else related to that in a second. So uh, my tool for you that I'm, I'm asking you to look at as a freedom fighting tool is specifically Black's Law Dictionary. Now, not any old law dictionary, but specifically Black's Law Dictionary. I could give you a whole legal brief about why Black's, but I'll just give you in the most, um, you know, one of the shortest examples or reasons why Black's Law Dictionary is the most commonly cited and referenced law dictionary in the entire U.S. It is cited by all the state Supreme Courts and the United States Supreme Court and has been for years. So when they're interpreting statutes or when they're looking at prior case uh, cases and, and decisions, the justices in those courts often we'll look to the Black's Law Dictionary. Now, within the Black's Law Dictionary, there are some nuances. So there's, as far as I know, there are three main types, three main types. There is the original version, which has uh, subsequent editions, but then there is an abridged version, shorter, truncated version, but it's called the abridged, Black's Law Dictionary abridged edition. Then there is a new pocket edition, even smaller, <laughs> even more truncated. My suggestion for you, my resource of the week uh, is the Black's Law Dictionary unabridged. That is not a pocket edition. So don't get the ones that are cut, truncated, shortened in any way, shape or form. Go ahead and get your hands on the full Black's Law Dictionary. And quite frankly, the edition doesn't matter so much. I have the, 
uh, deluxe 8th edition. I have no idea what the newest one is now. Um, it could be on the 27th edition for all I know, because I've had mine for um, almost 20 years. <laughs> so I'm sure there's more editions that have come out. But um, the link I sent to you now is the 9th edition. It's on eBay in very good condition. That looks like it was printed in 2009. Um, it's available for $39.99, which is not bad. I probably paid closer to $200 for mine when I was in law school. Um, this particular seller has 100% positive feedback and you can get it on or before this Saturday. So, hey, great. Um, I don't know if it says how many they have, but at any rate, that is my resource uh, of the week for you. And I think it's super important that you guys would do that. Um, so I am going to, there we go. All right. Um, what is my uh, get involved challenge of the week? Well, I've kind of alluded to it. My get involved challenge of the week is what I just showed you. Buy one for your whole household, unless you think more are necessary. But the challenge of the week is buy one, one copy of the paper, non-abridged, non-pocket edition of the Black's Law Dictionary. Because when you, when you if you're going to be following along and learning about some of these laws or the um, provisions of the Constitution, state or federal, or, you know, we're talking about cases, court cases, or even bills that are coming down the pike that we, you know, want to watch and see if they're good or bad. My whole goal is to educate you to be able to do that, to read those things yourself, to make your own decisions, but you have to know what you're reading. And the best way to do that is to go with the industry standard, if you will, on definitions and their terms and um, Black's Law Dictionary unabridged and not the pocket edition is the best way to do that. And you can buy it today and then keep it like I've had mine, I said, for almost 20 years. You can keep yours for 20 or 30 or 40 years. Um, in fact, I, I could be wrong, but I've never known of an attorney who bought one uh, that later on felt like they had to get some sort of updated version. Maybe their, their copy got ruined somehow, ripped or spilled or whatever, lost, but they didn't feel like theirs was just old and out of date. So you should be good with your copy for quite some time. Um, and Rick has a good idea uh, that citizens should be involved in attending your local school board meetings to take back your schools now. That's Rick on Facebook. Yes, that is an excellent idea. Um, and might be one of them that I specifically had as, as a call to action or get involved challenge. But uh, if I didn't already do that yet, it's, it's going to be one coming because we've definitely talked about it. So uh, the Constitution segments. Oh, boy. Uh, today, I've got a lot. So what I'm going to do is give you a very brief overview of which segments do what, and then go into the specifics and give you more information about each. So um, we're going to start, of course, with the U.S. Constitution. Okay, so the U.S. Constitution, Article 6, that second little segment in there. This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land, capital L, mind you, 
and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the uh, anything in the constitution or laws capital L of any state to the contrary notwithstanding so um it's telling us uh what is the source or you know what's the starting point of what a law is well rule numero uno is it has to be constitutional you can't have something that is enacted as a state law even if it's done under the proper procedures it is not a law it is not enforceable it does not even exist if it is contrary to the state constitution excuse me to the u.s constitution and uh if it's also maybe there's no mention directly in the constitution but if there is a United States federal statute, United States code on point, uh, and you have a state law that contradicts it, as long as that federal statute is constitutional, then that state statute that's contrary, it's no good. So federal constitution and federal law, those are supreme to state law and state constitution. So uh, like I said, even state constitution. So what about the, um, if there is a state constitution that allows for, I don't know, um, if there's a state constitution that says, um, you know, the citizens of that uh, state are not allowed to uh, possess any firearms or something stupid like that. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's in the state constitution because that particular type of provision is obviously not okay. It's not enforceable because it would be violating the U.S. constitution. So even if there's something that was enacted under the proper procedures uh, that says something like that, you can't enforce it uh, because it's not constitutional. So um, next legislative power. Uh, if you look at the United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 1, if you look at uh, the Michigan State Constitution, Article 4, Section 1, if you look at the Florida State Constitution, Article 3, Section 1, in each of those sections, you will see that the legislative power is given to the legislature, the legislative body, obviously called Congress at the United States Supreme or United States level, um, but the legislative power is given to the state legislatures by uh, their respective state constitutions and the legislative power, as we went over uh, in, I believe, last week's episode or the week before, uh, that Black's Law Dictionary will tell you legislative power is the ability to authority to enact laws uh, that keep our society running together so that we're not uh, exercising our rights in a way that's trampling on the rights of others. And so that we're able to go forward in a society together that makes sense. Um, so um, what's important to note is that there is also a separation of powers. Now, common sense, as well as hundreds of years of case law, case law will tell you that in the U.S. Constitution, even though there's no distinct wording of separation of powers, you have 
Article 1, Article 2, and Article 3 that are totally different articles. One is the legislative power. One is judicial power. One is the executive power. They're not meant to be intertwined. There is no language within the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, that allows those powers to be exercised intertwined. So um, if you then jump to the state constitutions, though, uh, and I'm just, again, giving you the examples of the Florida and Michigan state constitutions, you'll see that in the Michigan Constitution, Article 3, Section 2, and the Florida state constitution, which is actually, ironically, Article 2, Section 3, there's actually a section called separation of powers. So uh, in Michigan, because... That is my home state, of course. I'm going to read to you what that provision is because it's it's very small, it's two sentences. The powers of government are divided into three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. No person exercising powers of one branch shall exercise powers properly belonging to another branch, except as expressly provided in this constitution. And I'm going to give you one of those examples later on in just a minute. Um, so the Florida State Constitution has... Uh, a very similar um, provision in there, branches of government divided into legislative, executive, judicial, and no person belonging to one branch shall exercise any powers appertaining to either of the other branches unless expressly provided herein in the state constitution. So those are the state constitutions. The fourth main element I want you to keep in mind uh, in looking at what the, again, this is the question of what is a law? So now we're figuring out, okay, it has to be a law that's a true law, has to be constitutional, has to follow the Michigan, or excuse me, the U.S. Constitution. It has to be uh, stemming from the legislative branch. Uh, and the <clears throat> uh, state constitution say, unless there's a specific procedure in the state constitution that allows some sort of law to be enacted or put into place under some other procedure, within the state constitution, but by and large, it's by the legislative branch, your state legislature. And uh, then idea or concept number four is requirements for passing laws. So one of the things that I voiced concern about uh, starting probably in um, on May 18th, 2020, standing on the steps of the Rosa Parks Circle uh, stage there and, and discussing to all those, you know, however many people, it was thousands of people that were joining us to fight for freedom way back then. I was sharing how our governor in the state of Michigan was issuing all these executive orders that literally touch on every aspect of our lives as later recognized in plain English by our Supreme Court justices, mind you, but that these uh, executive orders were touching on every aspect of our daily lives, business lives and personal lives. And in, in so many different contexts, right, talking about what you could buy and what stores you could go to or could you go to restaurants or hotels, um, you know, is your can you even go to your own work? Uh, can your child go to school? Uh, are the public schools or private schools allowed to be open or not? A variety of, of different things that she was touching upon and many more, as you all know. 
um, <clears throat> even imposing curfews uh, in these executive orders that you can't even leave your house in general because that's healthy. Um, we need to look at the requirements for passing laws. So uh, the Florida State Constitution, Article 3, uh, if you jump to sections 6, 7, 8, and 9, that's just a, a, an example of all the different procedures that must be followed in order for a particular law to be put into effect, when it goes into effect, how many votes are needed, um, what does it have to be titled, and what kinds of things can it do, change, um, can it create new laws or amend old laws or repeal old laws. Um, so that is Flor the Florida State Constitution, Article 3, Section 6, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, <clears throat> the Michigan Constitution is Article 4, and there's a whole lot in there that limits or describes different ways that laws can be enacted, and especially in certain things, laws about taxes, laws about um, the budgets and all kinds of other things. But if you just look at sections 22 through 27, Michigan Constitution, Article 4, sections 22 through 27, that gives you the uh, main rules, if you will, by which laws must be enacted. So bills, um, all laws have to be in the form, you know, start in the form of a bill. All legislation shall be by bill. Uh, the style of the laws has to be the people of the state of Michigan enact this law. Um, <clears throat> no law shall embrace more than one subject. And that subject has to be stated clearly in the title of the law. The bill, um, no bill shall be altered or amended on its passage through either house as to change its original purpose. Um, as determined by looking at the content and not just the title. So in other words, you can't just start with uh, a vehicle bill, as they call it, where you're starting or introducing a, a bill knowing full well you want to change it, and then you end up uh, changing it after you know it's originally introduced. <clears throat> you end up changing it so much that the substance of that bill is no longer the same as the substance as when it started. Maybe it has the same title, but the substance is totally different. You can't do that. It's not constitutional. Um, it talks about, you know, that you can't revise or alter or amend any law already in place by reference to it only. You have to restate the entire law and put those strike through if you're taking, you know, parts of the law out or um, the bold or it might be capital, I can't remember, bold or capitalized uh, for parts that you were adding, underlining. I think it was underlining for the parts that you were adding. At any rate, it has to be reenacted and republished in, at full length. Um, and then it talks about uh, that bills, uh, there has to be the five days in between, uh, it has to be every bill shall be read three times in each house before the final passage of the bill. Uh, and anyway, it, it goes on and on about different things. Um, the effective date, no act shall take effect until the expiration of 90 days. So it has to be 90 days after the legislature votes on it. Um, by the end of the session, which it passed, but the legislature can vote to give it immediate effect if two thirds of the members voting um, that are elected to and serving in uh, the uh, 
the legislature, if two thirds are voting to give it immediate effect, then it can have immediate effect. But <clears throat> excuse me. So just kind of giving you that frame of reference, those executive orders that were put into place by Governor Whitmer, um, they were having immediate effect or, you know, they would become they would come into effect in, you know, one or two weeks. Um, and <clears throat> none of them waited 90 days. None of them had been read in the legislature, uh, let alone three times in each house before they were put into effect. Um, none of them, she was essentially saying her executive orders were the same as law, but, and that she was amending all these other laws that allowed people to, uh, you know, follow different procedures to do certain things or, um, whatever. Right. So you could be a licensed business uh, <clears throat> doing something that is already recognized as something that happens in Michigan uh, on a regular basis. And yet she was with the stroke of a pen changing, supposedly changing those laws in her executive orders. But she was not republishing the entirety of that particular law through her executive order. Uh, she certainly wasn't making sure that there was only one executive order per subject matter, uh, let alone was she um, doing it by bill or giving it the proper title. So those are just, you know, might, might seem uh, not super important or whatever, but I'm telling you, these are requirements in the Michigan State Constitution. I gave you the, the references for the Florida State Constitution version of those. And if you're not in either of those two states, your own state constitution has some form of that in their state constitution. So um, make sure that you are understanding whether a, and that's not just for executive orders, I'm just picking on the executive orders, but that is the requirement for all state laws. So um, you may or may not remember, um, Governor Whitmer was doing press releases or excuse me, um, not releases, but video live updates, whatever we call that, conferences, press conferences. Um, she had been doing them every day and then she had switched to like a, uh, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. Well, she went on and it was either Thursday, April 30th, 2020, or Friday, April, uh, May 1st, 2020. One of those two days, she went on to do this press conference where she was saying how she was vetoing Senate Bill 858 that had passed the Michigan House and the Mich Michigan Senate, that she, Governor Whitmer, was vetoing Senate Bill 858 because it violated some of those very requirements of the state constitution. Um, for one, she pointed out that it covered too many different subjects, that that one bill covered uh, several different subjects. Here's the thing. I 100% agreed with what she was saying there because it did, in fact, violate the state constitution in a variety of ways, and it should never have been voted on. It was a terrible bill, despite the fact that they were claiming some uh, certain state reps in particular were claiming not only that day on April 30th in the halls of the state Capitol building, but later on on social media about how fantastic their decisions were and what they voted on and what they were going to do. It was all load of garbage. It was not good for us. They actually could have taken steps to do things 
as they were supposed to do and follow the constitution to fight for our freedom uh or quite frankly if they had just done nothing at all if they had shown up and not taken any votes at all that would have been better than voting on senate bill 858 because a lot of bad things were there i was thankful that uh whitmer would not sign it just to tell you a, a tiny tidbit one of the biggest problems i had with that bill is that it codified solidified permanent ties <laughs> Uh, about 30 of Governor Whitmer's then in place executive orders. Half, over half. I think at that point she had 58 executive orders, 57, something like that. Um, and it put into state law the entirety of over half of her executive orders. That's what the Republican legislature did to us on April 30th, 2020. Anyway, so um, we need to make sure that we're keeping an eye on the laws as they are being introduced as bills in each house of the legislature. Uh, super important. And the tools that I gave you in prior episodes show you how to do that and show, you know, uh, show you when different committees are meeting and how to get involved uh, and have your voice heard or just how to follow a bill as it goes through uh, to look up who sponsored it or um, who is the chair of the committee that it was assigned to, those kinds of things. Uh, but even if a law has been passed and uh, nobody caught it, if it was not passed in the proper way, if it violated the state constitution, uh, then it's not a thing. It's not a constitutional law. It cannot be enforced as a law. Um, the Florida state constitution specifically allows for um, some county laws, some older laws. Uh, so Florida state constitution, if you want to look at uh, article eight, section one, article eight, section six, that's where it's talking about county ordinances or local laws. Um, Florida State Statute 2.01 is referencing um, older uh, laws and decisions that were put into force or put into place uh, prior to um, 1829, which is when this one was, was um, enacted, uh, but saying that any of those older ones can only remain in place so long as they are not inconsistent with the uh, constitution and laws of the United States or the acts of the legislature of this state. Um, the uh, Michigan constitution also has, I think it is, um, shoot, I don't remember, local government might be chapter or article seven in our Michigan state constitution. Um, yes, local government is uh, article seven, of the state constitution and you will see section one is talking about counties and a corporate charter powers and immunities section two is county charters um and uh let's see there are other um provisions talking about uh like section 17 charter townships corporate character the powers and immunities um uh, section 22, charters, resolutions, ordin uh, ordinances. So we're talking about what is the law and those parts of the Michigan Constitution are specifically talking about kinds of local laws. So um, 
that brings us to, okay, so we've talked about laws and even if they go through the legislative branch, let's back up and realize that at the federal level, we have the, um, the U.S. Congress, uh, state level, we have the state legislatures, the the state constitutions also provide for county commissions or county councils as the um, wording may differ from one constitution to another, but essentially your county commissioners, your governing board of your county, they are allowed to enact ordinances and put, um, that's, that's the term for local laws to be put into place. Um, and, uh, then you have your your local municipality. You have your township, or you know your city, uh, village, um, unincorporated community. Depending on your state, uh, that may vary on what they're called. But your local place where you live, basically, uh, it's generally speaking the 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 city as you refer to it on your address when you're putting your address on something. So uh, your legislative body, the governing body of that particular locality. So when I um, was most recently living in Michigan, I was serving as a Georgetown Township trustee. So I was on the board of trustees and I was a part of the, the governing body. And so if we voted on repealing an ordinance or enacting an ordinance, that would be putting into place or taking off from the books a local law. So, um, that talks about the levels of government. So what about the different branches? Well, we've already talked about the separation of powers, but in both state constitutions, we did realize or look at the part that says those other branches of government can't utilize powers belonging to the second and third branches unless specifically allowed in the state constitution. And both of the Michigan and Florida constitutions did have that nuance. So in the Florida State Constitution, I didn't come across anything that talked about uh, ways that the, the governor could, that executive branch could utilize uh, the legislative powers. Maybe it's in there and I missed it, but I didn't see anything about that. But in the Michigan State Constitution, Article 5, Section 2, specifically talks about executive orders. Now, does it say all executive orders have the same force and effect as law? Absolutely not. It's talking about executive orders where the governor is uh, changing, reorganizing the structure of the executive branch of government. If she's changing uh, the different departments or changing the structure within a department, or perhaps the specifics of different tasks that are assigned to different agencies all within the executive branch of government, she can do that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, even in that regard, even those kinds of executive orders, they are not allowed to be regulating the people. It is only to change the structure of the executive branch. That's it. And even though she's just changing things for her own executive branch, and she has issued some of those orders since she's been in office. Um, and she even did a couple of those, I believe, during the, the height of all of these, you know, massive number of, of uh, emergency executive orders, right? But those restructuring ones have to follow a certain process. So 
uh, again, this is Michigan State Constitution, Article 5, Section 2, that if the governor wants to reorganize some portion of the executive branch of government, uh, she could do that by executive order. If that executive order is presented to the legislature, it says literally it has to be submitted to the legislature. And and let me just say this, I'll back up and say, this is, this is just reading it. Where these changes require the force of law in order to be given the force of law, they shall be set forth in executive orders and be submitted to the legislature. The legislature then has 60 days of a regular session uh, or a full regular session if it's a shorter duration to disapprove of the executive order. So if the legislature in that sense has they had it submitted to them and they don't take action at all, then that change in the executive order goes into effect. If, however, they um, disapprove it by a resolution concurred in the majority of members in both houses, it's a no-go. It um, is disapproved and it's not allowed and it's, it's not given the force of law. So it's a very tiny, small nuance as to how executive orders in Michigan can be given the force and effect of law. And this is in our state constitution. Now, I will say to you that I brought up this argument in my one of my briefs that I submitted to the Michigan Supreme Court in uh, summer, early fall of 2020 in uh, lawsuits against the governor. And in that decision that came out, I think it was the original decision. I could be wrong, but I, I think it was the original decision that came out on October 2nd, 2020 by the Michigan Supreme Court. There is a footnote where uh, they don't reference, you know, any other amicus briefs throughout the, the whole um, opinion, except for mine. And what they do is they say that they, they don't think that my argument on this particular point is true. They don't think that the governor only has the power to issue executive orders that have the full force and effect of law that are limited to the scope of what this part of the Constitution says. Now, the justices didn't say what other powers they think the governor has with regard to these executive orders or what the source of authority would be to allow her to issue executive orders that are the same thing as laws. They just said, well, we don't think the Restore Freedom Brief kind of got it right on that. Now, I'm going to tell you, with all due respect to those justices, they got it wrong. Because no government official and no government agency, the government in general, does not have any authority whatsoever unless the people have expressly consented to it in the state or U.S. Constitution, period. And no one gave the governor the power to issue executive orders to do anything other than rearrange her branch of government in a way that's done by the procedures outlined in the state constitution, if she wants it to be given the full force and effect of law. So there is that. So uh, Dennis, if you're still hanging on there with us and uh, listening to this, um, those are the only types of executive orders that are allowed to be considered or have the effect and force of law. Uh, in fact, if we look at Michigan state law, MCL 
It literally gives us the definition of law. Law means any of the following. A, a public act of the legislature, which goes through all those procedures we talked about earlier in the state constitution. B, an initiated law adopted by the people. Now, it's my bad. I forgot to mention this, but in some, definitely not all, in some state constitutions, there is a uh, there's a bunch of other tools that are given to the people directly. So we have a representative form of government, a republic. It's guaranteed to us by Article 4, Section 4 of our U.S. Constitution. That means that we have the ultimate control and authority, but we have people that we elect to represent us to do the day-to-day -day types of tasks, okay? But we retained direct power to do certain things. So in the uh, state of Michigan. I used to have this part totally memorized, but I, I want to make sure I'm not getting this wrong. Okay. I was correct about this, but wanted to double check. Article 12 of the state constitution of Michigan. Number one, you have amending the state constitution by legislative proposal. So the legislature proposes it and then the voters vote on it. You can amend the state constitution by petition and vote uh, of the electors. So that is what I did when I drafted the Restore Freedom Initiative Constitutional Amendment Petition. We were trying to change the Michigan state constitution uh, to make very clear that all that garbage can't happen. Uh, and it would have ended everything we've seen happen ever since. Um, and that was by petition where you have to get a certain number of signatures to get it on the next general election ballot. And then as long as it gets a majority of the voters to vote in favor of it, then it passes and it changes the Michigan state constitution. And we have seen several of those recently. Uh, we've seen some bad ones um, in recent years with uh, the redistricting commission and, um, you know, some other things that we won't go into. But um Anyway, that is, uh, and then of course you have the general revision of the constitution that is a, a separate section. So our state constitution gives three distinct ways that the state constitution can be amended. And the second, the number two way is a petition by the people. So that's how the Restore Freedom Initiative petition was different than the Unlock Michigan, Stand Up Michigan petition, because they were just trying to change one state law whereas the Restore Freedom Initiative petition was trying to amend the state constitution, which is higher than that, and would have stopped all of those bad laws. Whether a law was enacted or on the books or not, it would have been totally unenforceable in a much more clear fashion, but there would have been a lot more consequences for government officials who were violating the state or federal constitutions. Um, great, Dennis. Great to see that you're still with us. Thank you. Um, so, um, let's see, where was I going with that? Got to look at my notes here. Okay. So, um, when I mentioned that state law, Michigan codified, you know, Michigan compiled laws, 8.8, that, um, there's only one of three ways a law is a law. One or a is a public act of the legislature. B is an, an initiated law adopted by the people through that procedure, Article 2, Section 2, or Article 12, Section 2 of the state constitution, 
or C, an executive order of the governor submitted to the legislature pursuant to Article 5, Section 2 of the state constitution and having the force of law. So you can have an actual law, that's a bill that becomes a law. You can have uh, the ones that are done by petition. Um, and actually, sorry, my bad, the ones that are initiated by the people, that's not the same as amending the state constitution, but it's in the same kind of procedure. Um, that is the one that the um, Michigan, um, um, Stand Up Michigan and uh, the, uh, oh my goodness, Unlock Michigan petition, that is what they were trying to do was amend state law. So you have uh, the legislature enacting law, you have the people directly doing it by petition and getting a majority vote of voters, or you have these certain tiny, very specific executive orders that follow that specific procedure in Article 5, Section 2. That's it. So when the Michigan Supreme Court was telling me, uh, telling us that restore freedom, uh, she's not quite right that those are the only executive orders the governor can issue that have the full force and effect of law. We probably should have read the state statute that says that's the only kind of executive orders that have the force and effect of law. Just thinking. So um, anyway, those, uh, this is a long enough video. I want it to be done by one. I'm trying to give you as much information as I can on something while not taking an entire uh, afternoon of your time to do so. Uh, so hopefully you understand what is a law and what isn't. What I did not get to cover in this uh, is the specifics of certain things. So uh, I'll just wrap it up by saying this. Um, what kinds of things are not mentioned in in these you know what kinds of things so um resolutions resolutions that are voted on by a majority of the legislative body are those laws well the state of michigan's constitution uh very clearly says i forget where it is in there. I want to say it was uh, Article 4, Section 22, uh, but it says that it's a bill. Laws have to begin with being a bill. That's not a resolution. Um, and what about your local, uh, your local government? So for example, oh, say, I don't know, a little tiny township, Layton Township in Allegan County, Michigan, and they have a resolution and it says resolution and it references being a resolution and it's a resolution is a resolution from a local governing body is that considered a law eh, no if you look at what we've been hearing about it's ordinances that localities or municipalities can enact that have the same force and effect of a state law ordinances are local laws in fact uh, if you look at Black's Law Dictionary, it gives you those um, descriptions. I've certainly put that uh, distinction in briefs before. I will certainly put that into another full video later on, but ordinances are the laws. Resolutions are generally um, expressing an opinion about something or, you know, some sort of procedural thing like, we have a resolution to declare, you know, the first Tuesday of the month as Donut Day. That's not a law. 
There's no requirement being imposed upon the people. That would be done by resolution. And State Rep. Steve Johnson, uh, although he has gone astray in quite a few different ways since initially voted into office, that is one thing that I have appreciated from uh, State Rep. Steve Johnson is that his entire time uh, of being a state rep, every time I've seen him explain votes and he's talking about a vote on a resolution, He's voting no if that resolution is simply to do something like declare it, uh, you know, a certain day of celebration for something. That's that's not what government's purpose is. And I agree with him on that. But in many respects, there's no harm to us because it's government just like saying what its favorite song is or favorite color. It's it's that kind of nature, it doesn't actually impose any requirements upon the people. So um, what about administrative rules? Well, okay, so you have, you know, these administrative rules that these administrative bodies are, you know, like MDHHS, um, Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, or, um, you know, any kind of the unemployment insurance agency or, um Oh, any of those other alphabet soup acronyms, right? The agencies uh, are, you know, there is a state law that in uh, in Michigan, but there there are these in, in other types and forms of government as well, where they're giving that power of making a law over to this agency, and then they're calling it an administrative rule. They're saying, well, it's okay. And the courts have by and large said, oh, it's okay for them to do this. They're just giving this other entity the ability and the authority to issue rules because they're really administrative in nature. They're not really changing the substance of anything. They're not imposing something of substance upon the people. It's just administration. So that's okay. No, it's not. Let's take a common sense look at this. There is not a single administrative rule or regulation at any level of government uh, done by any branch of government that is okay to be enforced as a law against the people. And yet they are. None of those agency rules should be meant to be enforced upon the people, but rather they should be used as internal measures about how that agency is supposed to act. So they might say we have policies that you can't, uh, oh, I don't know. I can't even think of a good one that would make sense right now, but you know, maybe there's an agency rule. When you work at a government building, Maybe there, except if you have some sort of disability, you have to park as an employee of that government agency. You have to park in the farthest away parking spaces because they want to ensure that the closer up parking spaces are available for members of the general public to utilize. That would be a legitimate uh, rule, an, an administrative rule to enforce. It doesn't say the people have to do or not do something. Uh, it's saying you know, the people that work there have to do something, follow a procedure for the benefit of the of the people that they serve. That would be an example. Uh, and that was just off the top of my head. Maybe it'll turn out it's not the greatest example in the world, but um, that is just an example. So administrative rules by law are considered laws, but quite frankly, um, when the Michigan legislature enacted the uh, I forget what it's called, but the Administrative Procedures 
whatever. The law, the state law that supposedly allows uh, these administrative rules to be enacted, uh, when they did that, they didn't think to go back and amend state law MCL 8.8 and say, well, we're also going to include as long as these administrative rules and regulations. They didn't do that. So technically speaking, a law in the state of Michigan is does not include any of those administrative rules or regulations. Um, and nor should it. So uh, thank you, Lori. Administrative Procedures Act. So, um, okay, so that's um, administrative rules and regulations. Um, we talked about resolutions, uh, executive orders. We talked about those mandates. That's not even a thing like in writing anywhere in the constitutions or state um, uh, laws by and large. That's just a thing that it's, it's, a, it's a concept. Okay, if the government is going to mandate you, a mandate by definition is something that you have to follow. But what is the source of authority? They can't just say they're mandating or requiring you to do something as a citizen. No, they have to do it by the proper procedures. So if they're trying to enforce something upon you as a member of We the People, it has to be done by legislation. It has to be done the constitutional and legal way. Um, so mandates just on their own, just being called a mandate, not a uh, law, not enforceable. Um, I'm trying to think of what other, Lori, if you wanna jump in and tell me if I'm missing something. Um, oh, case law. Uh, case law is something that it's called, okay? We're definitely taught to call it that going to law school. I don't know of a single law school in the entire country that doesn't reference case law as a term, but um, case law isn't a thing. There's no law that can be imposed or created judicially. All laws have to be created by the legislature unless the constitution specifically allows for some other procedure. And there is no procedure written into the state constitution or the US constitution that says our courts can issue decisions and opinions that put into place procedures and requirements that can be enforced upon the people and have the same force and effect of law. There is nothing in there. So if we didn't give that branch of government the authority to issue those kinds of uh, judgments upon people, where it's not just an individual judgment in an individual case, but it is a widespread decision being enforced upon all of us, then they can't do it constitutionally. So it's disgusting and disturbing that our whole society is, is based upon this notion of case law. And we talk about these cases. We well, darn straight, I'm going to use these cases to show how the government should and shouldn't do things because there are a lot of good cases out there. And there's a lot of good pieces, even in the bad cases, that I can use to prove uh, the point of freedom in almost any situation. But when it boils down to it, the question is always, does the Constitution allow the government to do this in any case? And if the answer is not a resounding, clear, obvious, well, yes, it does allow them, then the answer is, oh, no matter what is being challenged, it must be overturned and set aside because it is not constitutional. That also goes back to uh, the Ninth Amendment and uh, Article 1, Section 23 of the Michigan Constitution, and I forget which one it is, 
Um, but it's also in the in the Article One of the Florida State Constitution. Those are our unenumerated rights because we get our rights from God. We do not get our rights from government. And even if we don't spell out every single right that we are protecting and securing in those constitutions, that unenumerated clause means that the government is still supposed to secure and protect those individual liberties that are not individually identified, like the ability to breathe fresh air or not be forcibly injected or anything else of that nature. Hence the reason why uh, we're not choosing to do our lives directly through YouTube anymore, because this video would have been pulled in three seconds. Um, so we talked about state law, constitution, administrative rule, executive order, regulations, uh, government. Um, yeah. Okay. So hopefully that gives you an answer to all those little pieces um, that you may be wondering about. Is this a law? Now we know what is a law and what isn't a law, and we know where to look. Now, if you need to go through and listen to this um, all over again, you might want to do that. At some point, I may be able to eventually turn all my notes and, and knowledge about the Constitution into some sort of handout on that. I do plan to have constitutional classes at some point, but again, I'm working for free, living on donations, and uh, I'm already putting in a lot of hours every single day of the week on putting all this information together. Uh, so uh, that kind of thing is just not available at this point in time. So don't forget to check out our Constitution app that currently has the uh, U.S. and Michigan state constitutions available right at your fingertips that you can highlight and bookmark different sections, especially if you're following along in the Restore Freedom Weekly episodes. You could leave notes there. Um, it is available in the Google Play and Apple app stores. Uh, I want to say it's $1.99 because it costs us well over $1,500 just to get it started. And we have a $50 every month charge um, to continue that. So um, that little cost is just trying to get us to the point where we're paying uh, back for you know the, the initial cost of setting that up. And as Lori points out on Facebook, we are definitely looking for people that can help maintain that app. If we can get essentially full control of our own app and run it and maintain it with all the coding that goes, goes into the app development, that would be fantastic. And we could make this thing a far more uh, you know, user-friendly uh, thing. Uh, like we know that there's some sort of, you know, a few typos and things still in there that um, are very difficult logistically for me to go in and do because of how they set up uh, the app. So at any rate, it's still a very usable, very um, useful thing. It's called Restore Freedom. It has the purple Restore Freedom logo. Uh, you can find it again in your Google Play and Apple app stores. Uh, we'd love for you to be able to download that, share that app, that link for the app with your family and friends, and go ahead and, and put some uh, highlighting or bookmarks on the topics that we talked about today. And uh, hopefully soon we'll be able to have the Florida State Constitution included in that app. And maybe years down the road, we'll have all 50 states. That would be fantastic. Uh, for now, that is 
is all the time I have uh, to do this weekly episode with you. Thank you so much to those of you who have tuned in live today. And thank you so much to those of you who are going to watch this episode later to learn. Uh, but do remember at noon on Tuesdays on Rumble, we're going to go live for this Lunch and Learn, the Restore Freedom Weekly episodes with Catherine Henry. Uh, and every day of the week, depending on the social media platform, we will be posting things from a true or false uh, poll or quiz that you can answer uh, to a little live video giving you uh, some information about the Constitution or um, the uh, Wednesday way to get involved uh, or, you know, any of those things. So if you need that paper pocket Constitution, please follow the link that we uh, discussed in the uh, description of the app of the uh, video for today. I'm sorry, it's like 3000 degrees in this room right now. So I'm getting a little <laughs> flustered. But um, as I threw the constitution on the floor, uh, that is the pocket constitution that you will get. And um, it is uh, $2.50 at this point, because the USPS keeps raising the price. It used to be um, I believe a dollar when we started because it was just the cost of the constitution plus like basically a postage stamp in the envelope. And now the USPS just to send one stinking constitution, uh, I'm out of pocket $2 and 50 cents to send one stinking constitution. Um, so anyway, please get your constitution so that you have it available for you, especially in those areas or those buildings or those, you know, remote uh, places that your phone dies, your phone signal isn't there, whatever the case may be, there's no internet. You can at least have that pocket constitution that easily fits in a, in a purse or pocket and be able to have that source of uh, the protection of your freedoms with you no matter the situation. So uh, thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you throughout the week on those smaller tidbits and ways to get involved. And otherwise, we'll see you next Tuesday uh, live on Rumble or maybe on Facebook for our next episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.